Good morning, good evening, and welcome. Matthew Grant here. Okay, are you all set and ready to run, walk, cycle, jump on a train, get on with your riding, or whatever else you're doing? Why did you join us? Well, we have another great guest this week, of course, they all are. But as I'm amongst friends, I'm wondering if you're okay if I run a bit of an experiment this week. Well, you've probably heard about OpenAI and the chat GPT tool, recently valued at $20 billion. Google it if you want to find more. You might even try that out yourself. Well, it's a fascinating peek at what the future of AI holds. A little bit scary. We're already using a bit of AI ourselves for editing this podcast using a tool called Descript. Highly recommend it. And I'd ask Peril Carol Green, my guest today, what she thought of ChatGPT. More of that to follow. So for some fun, I've hooked up ChatGPT to Descript and asked for some help in introducing our guest. And this is what they had to say. Welcome to the Instec podcast, where we delve into the latest trends and insights in technology and innovation. Today, we have a very special guest, Parul Call, the Chief Digital Strategy Officer for Liberty Speciality Markets, joining us to discuss her role in driving digital transformation within the insurance industry. Our host, Matthew Grant, will be leading the conversation, delving into Parul's background and experiences in digital strategy, as well as her thoughts on the future of technology in the insurance industry. So join us as we learn from one of the top leaders in the field of digital strategy and insurance. Hmm, not bad. I think I'll have a job as a podcast host for a bit longer. Well, we'll be testing out chat GPT a bit more in the future episodes, so look out for that. Well, I was delighted that Peru was able to join us again. She's now in a role at Liberty Specialty Markets. And people often ask us which insurers are truly making progress with innovation, and in particular, which ones have figured out how to work with early stage companies. Well, Brule has a lot of experience in both those areas, so I was really pleased she could join us. And Perul has been very generous in sharing her insights and advice, and you're going to learn a lot here, whether you're an insurer in technology or you're just innovation curious. Topics we cover include, all insurers are moving to become truly digital, but how does a chief digital strategy officer achieve that within their organization? Perul, like others in this role, has a team around the world. But how does she bring the underwriters and other business units along with her? You're going to discover the difference between outputs and outcomes. Which ones do you think really matter? And where do you start in a massive company breaking the work down into manageable chunks? Perul explains that Liberty has three areas of focus. The first is digital distribution. Next is analytics. And we're going to find out more about the biotic underwriter. And then finally, digital products. You're going to discover some real-life examples of companies that Liberty is working with. And did you know that Liberty has more people working in its technology team than at least one very well-known technology company that we are all familiar with? Well, we're delighted to have Liberty as a member of Instec. And if you're interested in learning more about what we offer to companies and insurers that are innovation enthusiasts, then you can find out more at www.instec.co or contact any of us, hello, at instec.co or just me, Matthew Grant, on LinkedIn. Okay, here's Barul. Barul, welcome back. It's your second time on the Instat podcast. We had you on two years ago, January 2021. Uh, and you were talking to Robin Mertens then, and you've had 936 downloads, actually, I noticed last week. But yeah, welcome, and thanks for spending some time talking to us again. Uh, thank you, Matthew. It's uh, really lovely to be back at the Instat podcast. I'm an avid listener, and I always enjoy all the influential people and insure tech mavens that you have in your podcast. 
past podcasts. It's been really very illuminating experience listening to all of your podcasts. Wow, that's, that's that's very kind. I'm very uh, very pleased to hear that. And short tech maven, that's a a new term as well. Uh, well, and you're certainly going to be coming into that category of influential people. You've you've had a fantastic career. Last time we spoke to you, you were with AXA, but you've now joined Liberty Specialty Markets in July last year, and you're chief digital strategy officer. So we're going to talk a bit about that. I think you're seven years at AXA, and then before that, you're a Viva. Um, earlier in your career, you're also on the other side of the uh, business, I suppose, as a VC. And I see you also were a founder yourself of a mobile technology startup. Love to hear about Liberty. But first of all, I'm really intrigued to know what it was you're doing with your startup. Absolutely. Uh, so the startup that I was part of uh, in the co-founding team was called Highbyte. And it was a London and Berlin-based startup. It was essentially what we call a mobile virtual network operator. And our core value proposition was that the world of personal computing and communication will move from fixed lines to mobile networks. And there would be a need to create content for this new mobile first world. And this all came to fruition. But when we were doing this, this was earlier part of 2000. What we did was we bought capacity or data from mobile networks such as Deutsche Telekom, Vodafone at wholesale prices. And we created content. And we had three categories of content. First one was B2B for businesses. The second was B2C, uh, which was direct to customers. And the third one was mobile payment, which was uh, similar to what was popularized by M-Pesa and Safari.com during that time. We did make inroads in Germany. What really felled us at that time, one, the smartphone technology was very nascent. Secondly, in a show of significant monopolistic power, mobile networks actually cut the pricing advantage for the wholesale market, which means we were priced absolutely as much as the retail. So all of our advantage in buying bulk went away. All of our work then started becoming not so profitable. And the VC, which funded us, decided to sell up the capability to South African company. So that was the end of the MVNO phase. But what did come out of it is that the VC itself said that I had domain expertise in financial markets, understood technology, so why don't I work with them? And it was an early stage to growth private equity firm, family office. So I started working with them and invested in many technology ventures thereafter. Yeah, it's really fascinating. I guess a couple of things in that early business, I mean, one is getting probably great idea, but just a little bit too early, given that, you know, what we're all doing now, mobile. But also it's a reminder that when you've got a great idea, watch out, because the bigger organizations out there might just steal it from you. At least it had a, a sort of happy next step for you in terms of your career. So how did you get into insurance? Were you, were you sort of actively looking to go into insurance or did you sort of discover it accidentally like so many people seem to? It was a really a transition because I was in Aviva Investors, which was the investment management part of Aviva, which is a big insurance group, I started working on uh, innovation as a broad topic after my investing in technology and M&A investing role in as their global head of uh, mergers and acquisition and strategic developments. In the course of working in the innovation part, I also happened to start working in the insurance parts of the business through the digital garage. And that's when the opportunity opportunity in AXA came in to actually head up all of m and innovation for the asset management, general insurance, and life insurance business at that time. So it just 
increase the scope of my work in investing M&A and innovation to more than just asset management. So it seemed like an opportunity that I should not miss. So that's how I moved into the weird and wonderful world of insurance. So what, 2015, when the InsurTech world kicked off and and all those really sort of intriguing companies started off. So yeah, great, great time to be there. So Brule, a lot of people got digital in their title, but your role, Chief Digital Strategy Officer, I know that Libby's take that very seriously. You yourself have got some very clear objectives for it. We have a little test we're doing here for people these for 2023, which is the elevator story. Would you be willing to uh, jump in the elevator with me? And you've got 15 seconds to describe your role in uh, in Liberty. Sure. Okay, I'm going to start the timer and you've got 15 seconds starting from now. So I'm responsible for driving the digital strategy for underwriting and distribution. What it means is developing a long-term roadmap to ensure that LSM and LMRE is at the forefront of the digital evolution across its global markets. And this includes transition from existing business to digital channel. What I do is has two-pronged approach. Firstly, transforming the business to be customer-centric, digital, and agile. Secondly, creating value by better risk selection, portfolio monitoring, steering, and optimizing cost and capital allocation. So does that make 15 seconds? It was very close. And you were very noble taking that on, given you I haven't prepped you for it. Thank you very <laughs> much. <laughs> Unfortunately, we've got another 20 minutes to talk about what you do. So that was that was very helpful. So just a little bit about Liberty itself, and then we can kind of talk a bit more about what you just discussed in there. So Liberty Group writes $22 billion of specialty business. In terms of your remit, how much of that comes under what you're looking at? $8 billion. And my focus is the international business, specifically when we mean international, we mean outside of U.S. In U.S., we have, I think, 10 to 12 of the 22 billion. And that's primarily specialty, commercial and surety. And in the international, we have a specialty and we have reinsurance, which is $5 billion in specialty and reinsurance is $3 billion. So that's uh, the area that I'm covering. And in terms of strategic focus, there are three distinctive areas of emphasis for me. One is digital channels and distribution for specialty insurance, bionic underwriting and analytics. How do we augment our underwriters in, and underwriting decision-making, including advanced analytics to support portfolio analysis? And finally, digital products and services. This looks at end-to-end digital native products such as parametric, could be computable contracts, could be ecosystems. So these are the three distinct areas of emphasis for me in the business that I look after. Well, that's that's very helpful. Just a quick recap. So you've got three areas, digital channels, the bionic underwriter and augmentation. I want to come back and talk to you about that in a moment. And then digital product end-to-end services. Could you elaborate a little bit on what you mean by bionic underwriting, a sense in there, something that's different from a algorithmic underwriter or a, a sort of underwriting organization that's doing it independently of people. Augmentation to me suggests that you're actually doing something with the underwriter as opposed to independent of the underwriter. Is, is that right? That is correct. So the emphasis of bionic underwriting is in augmenting underwriter and supporting speed and accuracy of underwriting decision-making, enriching data that the underwriters see, reducing reeking that the underwriters see as a major pain point, and uh, basically helping underwriter do 
the best of underwriting rather than all the administrational work that today's underwriter in specialty insurance seems to encounter and really reduces their efficacy. Also adds so much of the dross in their day-to-day activity. So that's the, the import of bionic underwriting. Yeah, and it's been interesting to see uh, over the, the last few years, the sort of technology world has moved away from trying to convince underwriters they no longer have jobs and give them fully automated analytics. I mean, I know there's a separate category of underwriting or, or algorithmic underwriting, but yeah, that seems to be where people are actually being quite successful is finding ways to augment the underwriter and just help them focus on what they're good at as opposed to, as you say, weakening data and things. And then it might be helpful if you've got a couple of case studies just to sort of bring to life any of those different categories you spoke about just now. So in the digital channels and distribution in London, we're working very closely with alpha brokers such as Marsh and Willistar Watson. I think they're called WTW now. And we're working with them in their digital placement strategy to integrate into their digital placement platform. For example, with WTW, we have launched the pilot phase of their new digital commercial insurance platform. The initiative uh, sets out to improve connectivity, giving brokers trading options and insurers speed and scale. The important thing here is that this pilot is using globally recognized data standards. So that's a significant improvement. And it has been designed to work with multiple insurers and brokers, especially to trade complex risks in real time. And in terms of customer journey, it's covering both renewals and new business and uh, short tail and long tail product lines. Similarly, in Europe, we're working with uh, Distribind in our affinity and partnership business in their Bordro and data management platform. So what we are doing is we are looking at Distribind's capabilities to help with automation of capabilities in our affinity and partnership business. This is specifically a focus area for our continental European business. Great to hear that Distribuy is working with you. We sort of followed them through the Lloyd's lab and been really intrigued to see what they're doing to try and eliminate spreadsheets in that area. And then you mentioned something in passing that I'd also just like to pick up on for the, the first example there was construction risk, which was globally recognized standards. One of the problems the insurance industry still has is, is getting standards. It's not the most exciting topic, but it seems to be a big problem and a big frictional cost. Does that come from the construction industry or is that being driven by the brokers or, or what, what's led to those globally recognized standards, you know? These are broker-driven because this is part of the digital placement strategy of the brokers themselves. Each of Marsh and WTW are working on standardization within their businesses. And we're simply working with them in terms of being able to integrate into whatever data engineering and data pipelining and setting of data classification standards that they are setting. So we are not ourselves saying that you should use CDR or Accord. We're saying the standards that you're recognizing, we'll be able to work with them in order to work with you on your digital placement uh, strategy. And that's great news. I I sort of was given up, actually, that there are going to be standards adopted. So I'm always very encouraged to hear what is happening. And particularly the brokers are taking the lead on that because they're so influential in that market. And then I just want to talk a little bit about, for you and your team, often one of the challenges is how do you get the rest of the business, in particular the underwriters, to engage with you and get attention? You've got the ideas. They've got their day job to go and do. How do you get them to invest time? Sometimes there's a bit of a learning curve with new technology and things. 
but what what sort of tips have you got for people trying to make this work elsewhere? So for us, the underwriters are our core user group, and therefore proximity, feedback loop, and deep understanding of their pain points, it's critical to digital strategy. In digital strategy, what we are trying to build in is a product mindset, which is very well understood in e-commerce companies, because product mindset really brings to focus solving of customer pain point and looking at the opportunities. And the way we work with underwriters and other business user within this framework is what we call continuous discovery. And this entails working with them and framing the problem to focus on real opportunities, pain points, and generating solutions for the right things, then articulating the proposition by narrowing down which ones should we be concentrating on. Because there's multiplicity of ideas, but what are the most impactful and what will lead to the alleviation of most of the critical pain points and and, and deliver significant business results to us. Then we kind of go back and start to test which one would be resolving that pain point most accurately. How do we do that? We create prototype, we test viability, feasibility, and desirability of each of our proposition. We test and iterate and adjust the solution. So what we try to move away from, Matthew, is solutionizing. That's the thing that is very critically different in continuous discovery versus very solution focuses. We don't solutionize and then try to tell underwriter that suck it up, this is the solution you will have. We start with their problem, which really helps in user adoption as well. So it's not a solution looking for a problem. We have proximity to the underwriter and we want to solve their most urgent, most critical pain points so that they are able to work better. You are like an internal product team to some extent. I mean, you, and it also reminds me of, sort of agile development, the way you're you're doing that. And that's not just you going out and talking to probably what hundreds or maybe even thousands of underwriters. Presumably you've you have to then train your team, motivate them, coach them to go and do that with with the underwriters as well, do you? Yes. So we have three distinct capabilities within the digital strategy team. We have product management, which is very focused on product vision. How do we integrate the outcomes that we have with what is the strategy of the enterprise itself? These are the outcomes we should be delivering. So our objectives are in a what we would call a cascading OKR with the business strategy itself. So very different to say a very pilot-based way of saying that, okay, I'm doing a multiple pilot and I'll find something useful. That's innovation. Here we are trying to look at solving many of enterprises' digital transformation problems as well, but through the process of continuous discovery. And that's product management. Then we have user experience and user research, which is very well understood in consumer businesses, but we are developing internal tools for underwriter as well. Interaction is also built as a capability into the digital strategy team. And finally, we have MI and analytics. So we mentioned cascading OKRs, and there's people not familiar with OKRs as objectives and key results, one of the things that technology companies use to manage their goals, uh, Google and others very effectively using those. But again, I just want to keep going on this question about how you built this team. So you you came in July 2022. So you've only been there six months or so. Were you doing this on top of a capability that already existed at Liberty? Or did you, and have you gone out 
and built that capability from scratch for your team and working with the underwriters the way you described? In some forms, these capabilities were available, but not within the framework of product management and digital strategy. They were happening sporadically rather than strategically and tactically. So what I did bring in is the overarching strategic framework of product management, which was absent and started structuring the work in the areas of digital distribution and digital underwriting with the guidance of this product management framework. And in terms of team development, some of the the people were in situ. And what I needed to do is focus them on this particular framework of operating and giving them a playbook to work with. And the team is not all in place. We're still recruiting. But essentially, the playbook that they need to play with and also proselytizing and evangelizing how digital strategy is exponentially better than very delivery-focused, tool-focused approach to technology and digital transformation is an ongoing journey for me and the team. Uh, Thank you. And that leads on to my next question, which is, I know you personally have put a lot of time and a big supporter of helping people earlier in their career, bringing people into insurance that might not have thought about that as a career. Can you just talk about the kind of things you've been doing and or Liberty have been doing to reveal the secret of insurance as a career for people that in my experience, once they join, they find this fascinating place and have really fulfilling careers, but don't always think of it as the first choice. Liberty does do a whole lot of work in uh, talent attraction, talent development and retention through charitable work in educational foundation. One of them is a Spencer Educational Foundation in US. What Spencer does, it awards scholarships and grants to students studying risk management, insurance, actuarial science and business. And it facilitates internship opportunities and also provides uh, off-campus experiential learning of opportunities through grants. Liberty is a supporter, uh, and our president, Neeti, has recently won an award for being a big supporter of this cause. We also have many Spencer scholars who work within Liberty and have done so for multiple number of number of years. As an organization, we also have uh, outreach in many of universities. Liberty has 5,000 people working in its uh, technology team. And it was recently awarded Computer World's Best Places to Work in 2022 and 21 as well. That's pretty incredible. You've got more people in your technology team than one well-known social media technology company, I think, these days. <laughs> and then, of course, another area that I, mean, I know is top of mind for you, as for every organization these days, is the move to reduce carbon emissions and more broadly around ESG. From an insurance perspective, there's a whole other dimension, which is this, this transitioning risk, you know, moving to new assets that haven't previously been insured and transitioning as of old ones. Can you can you talk a bit about what the sort of priorities are for you in that area? So this is clearly um, an evolving field and Liberty Mutual is dedicated to supporting its clients in uh, carbon footprint reduction and has engaged in cross-industry collaborations to improve and refine ESG data and risk management and is building capabilities in underwriting claims and risk engineering. When I think about that, potentially digital 
technologies can make it possible to design and operate entirely new energy system at the device, plant, and regional scales, so which can help transform carbon footprint of these industrial processes. Our risk engineers would find it really beneficial to understand these technologies. So that could be one area where digital can support energy transition teams. Other area, which I think you've mentioned in one of your podcasts, is also through the tools and mechanism for optimizing the energy efficiency of operations. That could be something that we can enable our clients and our underwriters in and from digital side. Also, enabling accurate greenhouse gas emission tracking, transparent reporting across supply chain. We can make an ecosystem of providers who have these tools available to our clients, to our underwriters. One of the things I heard Robin mention is a move from data aggregators to data ecosystem. So I think this is a valuable ecosystem which could support energy transition. And another area which on effective monitoring of carbon offsets, where again, this ecosystem of providers could be highly effective and this could really support our underwriting capabilities and risk engineering capabilities in this areas as well. And then how do you demonstrate yourself and the organization that hires you that you've been successful? There's a challenge often in this sort of strategic digital role that it can be hard to see short-term gains. Six months on, you've been in the job 12 months. What will be the kind of high points for you to demonstrate that you've been successful? We're using a very well-established OKR framework for measuring results. In the O part of it, we are capturing where do we want to go, which is a qualitative statement to define outcomes, very outcome-focused. Hitherto, a lot of technology work is very output-focused, which says that I had five sprint cycles and I delivered this. But what was the business outcome you achieved from this? So what we are saying is our objective in the cascading OKRs is tied to delivering the enterprise-level business strategy. And therefore, our qualitative statement, where do we want to go with digital? And what are the key results we should have? How will we know we are successful? What we are implementing is a mixture of leading and lagging indicators. Now, leading indicators through the cycle will tell you whether you're approaching success. Uh, so a prediction of uh, future of success, um, such as adoption rate, usage rate of a particular tool, which will start showing how much time person is spending on each of the pages, which starts telling you efficacy of a particular tool that you're adopting or a particular process that you're adopting. And in terms of lagging ind indicators, you have quantitative measures that demonstrate success of turnaround time reduction, cycle time reduction, customer satisfaction, broker NPS, um, employee NPS who are using the tools. So the smart metrics are being captured through the leading and lagging indicators in each of the digital strategy initiatives, which fall under digital strategies under the three areas that I talked about. I love that. Outcomes, not output. You've actually helped me with my tagline for this podcast rule. That's a really clarifying comment. And you mentioned then NPS now, of course, which is Net Promoter Score, which is the way that people measure the likelihood of someone to recommend a product or service. Take a slightly different question now and talk to you about the open AI tool, Chat GPT, which has been out there for a while. And before we record this podcast, I actually asked Chat GPT 
what is Liberty Insurance? It came back actually with such a great response that I've used it in the introduction for this. So we've actually now started to get the podcast being developed by an algorithm. Maybe it'll make me redundant in a few years' time. But on that open AI tool, just interested, is that the kind of thing you're starting to explore how that can relate to um, what you're doing in Liberty for insurance and underwriting? Yes. So what my limited understanding of open AI is that it's a large language model and it is using wide range of uh, natural language processing. NLP at the moment is in multiple areas in um, submission classification. We're using NLP solutions from Tortona in cause of loss determination in claims. We have NLP tools which are helping us in submission triage. So there are various areas where we are using this, not the large language model in itself, but the NLP part, uh, the specific NLP part of it in extraction, classification, and summarization of, of activity in various use cases. But we really do need to think through with the domain expertise of insurance business itself, there could be many, many areas that we could be driving a whole lot of efficiencies. And actually, when I think about augmenting underwriters, is it best use of underwriter time to summarize 500-page risk engineering reports, or can it be done by open AI-like GPT? So that's something that we do think is a big opportunity for us. Clearly an optimist so I'm, or a possibilist, and I do think that there are, there are more opportunities to make work process and workflow of our underwriters significantly better through use of uh, some of these tools. I love that word, possibilist. And you mentioned NLP quite a few times. So probably we've covered lots of areas there. You know, data for sure is part of a digital strategy, a really important one, really encouraged to hear what's going on there. Lots of other things we, we covered. But what would you say is the essence of being successful in a digital strategy as, as a recommendation or guidance for others? What I would say is that digital strategy is much like traditional business strategy. It is about making wise investment choices. And your aim is to maximize competitive advantage, uh, promote growth, profitability, and drive value for your customers. And then you need to implement it with discipline, working with your delivery teams or technology team. And when we do that, we also need to understand how technologies are radically reshaping the business economics. So there is a very, very strong focus on what's happening in our competitive external um, environment in terms of articulating that digital strategy and implementing that digital strategy in timely manner. We're investing in data ecosystems to integrate disparate external sources of data. We're also investing in advanced analytics and predictive modeling in order to drive insights from that data. I think it is very vital that in order to be successful in delivering our digital strategy, we adopt a culture of experimentation and discovery rather than mistrust new ideas and techniques, which will help our industry really scale the future much better than it has in the past. No, it's very helpful. I want to let you get back to a busy life. We really appreciate the support of Liberty and you've taken the time and sharing so much there. Just as a final question, if people are listening and they think they've got a 
a solution to a problem, not a solution looking for a problem. They want to talk to you, to you about what's the best way to contact Liberty. Well, they can definitely email me. I'm on LinkedIn. I think uh, we can uh, put my email address in show notes so they can contact me. If you have solutions or ideas in the areas of focus for us, strategic focus for us, uh, we're more than happy to hear you out and work with you if it proves to be a fruitful connection. That's very generous. We will put their connections in there. And with that, I will say thank you very much and see you face-to-face before too long into, into the new year. But thank you. Thank you, Matthew. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for having me. Well, there's not really a lot to add to that other than thanking Parul for being a fantastic guest. But one final request to you. Now, we know how many of you are listening. We know where you are listening from. But unless you tell us, we don't know who is listening or what you think. So if you like what you've heard from our guests and Parul in this case and want to let them know, then please do leave a comment in LinkedIn on my post about this podcast or Better still, create your own post and share it to the world. That's it. We're done.